Uh, speaking of old school, um, it was really fun last night. Uh, I, I got to do a wedding for a couple of people that uh, used to be in my youth group years ago, uh, back in the ancient days of the 80s and 90s. And uh, before I became a senior pastor of Real Life Church, which was 24 years ago, heading on 25, our 25th anniversary is next fall, or next spring. So I'm excited about that. But anyway, so when I was there, I got to see like several uh, young people that are no longer young. They all have kids and they're graduating from high school and things along those lines. So uh, it's really kind of fun to reconnect with some of them and to see uh, what they're doing in their lives and all that. And one of the things that I remembered was a flashback to when we used to do these boat races. And uh, so the idea was we would divide the students up into teams. And uh, the challenge was that they had to make a boat representing uh, their group. And they couldn't use any boat parts. And so they had to build a boat that could hold their whole team, which was, I think it was like 10 people on their team. And then they would race against these other teams. And, uh, and so they would get in these boats, they would make these boats out of all kinds of things, and cardboard and wood and, you know, old aluminum tanks that they found and, uh, uh, gosh, all kinds of things. Milk cartons, remember the milk carton boat races around here? Anybody remember those? Do they still do those? Yeah, so they would use those kinds of things and water jugs and milk jugs and all kinds of stuff. And they put these, these boats together, largely dependent on duct tape and uh, rope and things like that and inner tubes, things like that. And so they would put these boats and they looked hysterical and they had to decorate them. They had to have a theme. They had to have flags and the whole thing. Kind of like the UD team had those teams now, green, red, and purple, and pink and didn't hear anybody shout their team out here. I guess they're not in this room here. Yeah. We have anybody from the pink team here today? Yeah, I can see them. They're over there wearing their tutus and red hats and all this stuff. Um, but anyway, so they would get on these boats. And the most beautiful thing was it was never the people that you would think would win would win. It was always the people that were like, the misfits and the brainiacs and stuff who actually put some thought into their boat and built a boat that wouldn't sink or wouldn't fall apart. But the, all the, it seemed like the popular guys, all the people that really thought that they were all that, they'd put their boat together. It would look really sharp. It was awesome. And they'd get a good, they would get going really, really good off the gate. And they were just powering through with might and strength and all this kind of stuff. And and so they would be taken off, and all of a sudden, this ugly-looking boat with all these misfits on it would just slowly start paddling, while the other boats slowly started falling apart. And out in the middle of the lake, you would see, and of course, they're all wearing life jackets and everything. I would be praying, oh, God, let that boat just fall apart. Just let it just... Let them all get wet. Let them all fall in the water, Lord. And just like, oh, come on. Oh, it's so close. Because I could see it. It's just about ready to rip. And finally it would. And you would see these guys that are all puffed up with pride just sink right into the water. While these misfits would just... 
and just cruise right past them as I go by and come in and win the race. And you know, sometimes that's kind of the way life works. Sometimes our ego gets in the way, our pride gets in the way, and we think the life that we're building is going to last us. We think we're going to make it to the finish line, but really what happens is, is we end up sinking. And if we see this uh, happen in the book of Matthew. There is a story about uh, the disciples. They're with Jesus, and they're on a boat, and they're, they're afraid that they're going to sink. They feel, they're afraid that they're going to drown. If you'd look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 23, we see this story. Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and his, I mean, got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. He was resting. He was just, he was chilling. He was relaxed in the midst of this storm. Jesus was sleeping. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. I like this phrase right here. A friend of mine referred me to uh, the Oswald Chamber devotional. How many have read Oswald Chambers? A few of you? Uh, yeah, I haven't looked at it for a long time. Pulled it out uh, a couple days ago, and it talks about this verse right here. Why are you so afraid? Well, the obvious answer to that question is the reason they were afraid is that there were storms hitting the boat. There was a storm happening. There was waves lapping over the edge of the boat. These guys had been in boats before. They knew what it was like when there was a storm. They knew that there was a lot of people to get shipwrecked. They were freaked out. They thought they were going to drown. They were scared. They were worried. They thought they were going to sink. Sometimes we think we're going to sink in life. We, th we think that there's something's going to happen and the future is going to ruin our 401k. The future is going to ruin our health. The future is going to ruin our family. The future is going to ruin our retirement or the future is going to ruin the relationship. And so we get nervous and we get afraid. But the interesting thing is Jesus says, well, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Well, the obvious is that there's waves. Obvious that it's more than what the boat can handle. Yet Jesus was relaxed. There was a trust that he had. That despite the storm, he knew his father would take care of him. There's this faith that comes at some point in your life when the storms of life no longer rattle you. They don't sway you. They don't change how you trust God. They actually enhance it. And there is an expectation that God has of us that when we are facing storms or when we are facing trials or when we are facing difficult seasons of life, that we are to put our trust in him, not our faith in the waves. And sometimes the fear of the future or the fear of the current reality becomes stronger 
than the trust that says that it doesn't matter what hits me. I know I will stand. I know somehow, I don't know how, I don't know when. I just know that God is with me. And if God is with me, who can be against me? What can be against me? There has to be a faith like that. Now, oftentimes that faith doesn't come until you've been through some storms and you recognize that you're afraid. Sometimes it doesn't happen. In fact, most of the times in life, especially if you're young, maybe you haven't experienced many storms. and You haven't been to a funeral yet. You haven't suffered great, great loss of your finances yet because you haven't had any. Okay? All right? So, you know, the real storms haven't hit. But just know this, that there is a faith that you can get when you're going through a challenging time. Just like these disciples, they freaked out and thought they were going to drown, and they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, and one translation says, don't you care about us? And sometimes when we're going through stuff, we, we do say that. We say that to God and say, God, you must not care about us, especially if you get hit three or four times in a row. When you get one stream of bad news after another. When you read one negative headline after another. You can become afraid. You can become afraid of all kinds of things. But there's an opportunity right then to rest in Jesus. Knowing that even though you don't know how and you don't know when. You just know inside that you're going to be okay. You also know that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into what to do. Now, here's the test. The test is, is when you feel afraid, the tendency is to make decisions based on your feeling, not on wisdom. You follow me? And so today I want to talk to you about Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the fear? Or are you going to serve the one that will get you through? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opening up our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the church today. In Jesus' name. So Jesus rebukes the fear. And... Uh, one of the things that he is challenging them with is the fact that they're afraid and before they got into this place, they had not pre-visualized what they were going to do when they go through a storm. And so what I'm advocating for today is that um, I've seen different family members in our church get hit three, four, five, six, eight times while they see their friends living the blessed life. I saw somebody put something on Facebook just recently, and they had gotten some material object and, and said, blessed. I was like, it's, I know what it feels like. When you sign the deal on the house, you just feel blessed. I know what it's like when you, you get all the grandkids together 
and everything's peaceful and you're sitting around and the food didn't get cooked too much and the drink is just cold enough and the breeze is going through and you can feel it. It's just cool enough but hot enough and the clouds have parted and the blue sky's coming and all of a sudden you just realize I see no slugs. I see, I see no mosquitoes. I just feel so blessed right now that I'm not in some kind of humid climate fighting off snakes and insects. I'm blessed. I'm blessed because my conditions are just perfect. But it's when we're in that blessed condition that we have to visualize what we're going to be like when we go through a storm. You see, you don't wait till a storm to pray. You don't wait for a storm to pray. You pray before the storms because you know storms are going to come. Storms are always going to be coming. And to think that they won't is ignorant. The fact of the matter is there's people in the world and they'll make sure that a storm comes in some way, form, or fashion. The weather will make sure that you're disappointed at some point. It's either going to be too hot, too cold, too much rain, too much humidity, whatever. Too much something. There's always going to be too much of something. And so you have to be prepared for the storm, and you do it while you're in the current situation that you're in right now. You don't wait for the calamity. And so what we see here is that we see that there is a faith that comes when everything is going well. There's a faith when all of your needs are met, when your health hasn't limited you. There's a certain kind of faith that shows up when love is flowing. There's a certain kind of faith where there is peace with neighbors and our enemies are in a faraway place. There's peace when you can trust the government and when you can rely on the media and count on your doctor. There's peace then. There's always peace when wars are just news reports from distant lands and when the homeless, the addicted, mental, and the mentally ill are who, who you take food to, but you don't live with them. When there's that kind of peace, it's easy to have faith. When your car starts every time, when your kids aren't required to wear a mask, there's peace that comes. There's a faith that rises up. When God seemingly answers every prayer, including providing the perfect parking place at the crowded event, then you know you're really a king's kid. Because everything is flowing your way, right? You're blessed. But it's when these things don't happen and when when things outside of your control are taking place or consequences because of the things you had control of, you gave up control. And when that happens, what happens is we have our test of our faith and we're in a boat of life, on the journey, sailing through life, and the storm hits and the waves crash over the boat, and then our faith comes up. At first, we feel fear. 
We look at it, it makes sense. Waves over the boat equals sinking boat. Sinking boat means swimming. Swimming means I could get tired before I get to shore and drown. That makes sense. There's nothing wrong with thinking that. There's nothing wrong with feeling that fear. But there is a type of faith that rises up right then, and all of a sudden you're reminded, oh yeah, in my quiet time before work, or in that nighttime chat I have with my spouse, and in that prayer I had with my kids, in the story I was telling them the other night, we talked about trusting in God when we can't see a way out. And all of a sudden, you get reconnected to that resolve that you had. You made a decision a long time ago when you were 17 years old at youth camp. Or that decision that you made when you said your wedding vows in front of the priest, in front of the audience, and, and you, you committed to God and the people there that you were going to stay faithful to your spouse and love her or love him till the last days of your life. Right? There's a faith that rises up inside of you because you predetermined what you were going to do when you fell into the circumstances when all of your vision didn't come to pass and it didn't end up the way that you wanted it to end up. When they left you too early. When they died when you prayed. When all of a sudden you look at the future and you go, oh my gosh, it's not going the way that I envisioned it. That's when you need a faith that says, despite the storm, I will rest in him, like Jesus did in the boat. So let's look at a couple other scriptures. Let's look at this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, now, this is previous to this last passage that we just read. And in verse 21, it's... And, Jesus says this, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what's it saying there? Okay, so there is a realm called the kingdom of heaven that lives within you. Okay, this is a place where your emotions and your story, your memory, and your, your spirit and your mind are all colliding and working with each other in a good way, okay? This is a place on the inside of you. This is a heavenly realm that lives within you, okay? And when you allow Jesus to orchestrate, you allow the Holy Spirit into that heavenly realm, it begins to save your soul. It begins to save your mind and your heart. And when emotions come up that are out of the plan of this heavenly realm, adjustments get made in the heavenly realm. But if you want to enter into that heavenly realm, there is some things that you need to be thinking about. And what it's saying here that not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And what's he, what is he talking about? He's talking about waiting until you go into that testing time where fear and and bad news is coming and hitting you over and over and over again. And you're surrounded by your friends with it. And the people around you are talking this way and feeling this way. And everything is coming against you. And waiting until that moment 
to say, Lord, help us. This is what we do sometimes. We want to offer up prayers to God when things are going wrong, but we don't want to offer up prayers as part of being part of the kingdom of God. And so, so these prayers that we offer up when things are going well are preparing us for the times when things are going bad. But Jesus is saying, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to experience this heavenly realm. You're not going to enter into that space, that place where your soul is operating in rest, saved, not operating on emotion. Not operating on fear, but operating on the hope that we have in God. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter that space. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And so he's showing that there's, there's people that choose to live the way they want to live until it's time to perform a miracle or until it's time to call on God to calm the storms. But he's saying not everybody calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into this realm. You cast out demons, you prophesied, you perform miracles. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me because you're breaking God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds on solid rock. Now, check out this verse, verse 25. Though the rain comes in torrents, notice it comes in torrents, big waves, forceful winds of rain come in. Though it comes, this is sometimes the way it happens in life, guys. Keep in mind, there's, you haven't done anything wrong because stuff's coming in threes. Some of you think that you've disappointed God because storms have come. Did Jesus disappoint God while he was in the boat? But he got hit with the same storm as the disciples. He didn't do anything wrong. He was in a boat during a storm. That's it. Now, if you did something wrong, repent of it. And then you won't have to deal with consequences, right? But the fact of the matter is, storms come and you had nothing to do with it. And it's not God's way of punishing you. So don't ask God, why? Why, God? Why did I've done all the right things? I tithe, I, I serve, I go to church every week, and I, I don't say cuss words anymore, or at least not all of them. And, and, and so, so, Lord, come on. He says, look, anyone who listens to my teaching, and follows it as wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come and torrents and floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. Guys, we need to build on big bedrock because we are in times that are, that are stormy. This is a stormy time in our nation and in our world. But we're not going to wait until those those storms start hitting our house don't wait until your kid comes all comes home all confused sexually don't wait don't wait for that decide right now who you're going to serve 
But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. Now remember, building a house. And we're not talking about a, a physical house. Although it is the analogy. Talking about building your world. Building your life. Building the, the family that God has called you to. The grandkids that God has called you to. The parents that God has, has given you. And if, without them, you wouldn't be here. Okay? He's saying... You got to build this house. You got to build it. But if you don't build it right, like the person that builds on the sand, when the rains and floods come, the winds beat against that house, it will collapse. It'll be a mighty collapse. And so some of us know what it's like to have a collapse. We've collapsed. We've collapsed in our marriage or we collapsed in our family. We collapsed our finances. We collapsed our health or we collapsed some sort of relationship or even our faith in God. We've collapsed it. But guess what? What do you do after a storm and your house collapse? Start building again. First time you built on sand, this time you're going to build on rock. You're going to build on rock. I'm going to say that I don't do this very often, but I just feel led to do this. Uh, I see Mike over here. Mike is a man who builds... In fact, Mike, can you just stand up for a second? Because I, I need you for this illustration. Okay. This is a man who builds barbershops, Okay. And the whole theme behind those barbershops is kingdom. And everything about how he runs his teams and runs his business and everything is all about the kingdom. Because he knows what it's like to collapse his life. But he also knows what it's like to get back in the boat and find his way to a rocky shore and build on rock. And so he knows that building these, these companies have done well with your resource and you're doing well with your kingdom focus. And because of that, when the storms come and hit your business, and they will, you know that, you will survive because you've built on the rock. And your family will survive because you built on the rock. Hats off to you, Brad. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to build, but we pre-build. We visualize it. We get the blueprint in our mind, and we decide what it's going to look like. And some of us are waiting for storms to decide how we're going to have faith in God. If God answers this prayer this way, I'll believe. If he doesn't, I'll deconstruct him. Okay? Hey, nothing wrong with deconstructing. I've deconstructed so many things, it's not even funny. But it always comes back to Jesus. Because there isn't, not, I've never seen anybody that deconstructed religion or anything like that that found something better than Jesus. And Jesus is the rock, and he's the one we build on. Joshua chapter 24, look at this verse. This is powerful. Joshua was recounting all the times that God had came through for the children of Israel. So many times. Even in their own rebellion against God, God always came through. This is one thing you can know for sure. Some, some of us haven't yet entered into the kingdom of heaven realm yet. 
And some of us have, but we keep slipping back. Keep going in and out, in and out, in and out. And the reason that we do that is because we haven't really fully built on the rock. We like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of church. We like all these things. Uh, but we, we haven't quite fully decided yet. And Joshua was dealing with these guys because Moses has, was taking these people out of slavery and out of bondage, out of Egypt, and he didn't quite get them into the promised land. So Joshua took them on a seven-year journey to get into the promised land. And so they had to go up against a lot of battles and a lot of hardships and a lot of sickness, a lot of disease, uh, a lot of attacks. And one of the attacks that they had is that they kept serving different idols. And so even though they were people following one God, the people had a tendency to go back to their pagan roots and serve many gods. And so they would serve these different idols, okay? And they would sacrifice to them and they would worship them, but they never got anything for it. Right? They were just trying to appease these different gods because they believed that if they did this or did that, they would be blessed. And so they wanted to stop the rains from destroying things. They wanted to stop the sun from beating down too much. They wanted to stop the plagues. They wanted to do all these things, so they, they sacrificed to these different gods. And Joshua said, no, 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 we're not doing that. You guys got to decide what you're going to do. And he says this. He says, you need to fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever your idols your an that your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in the and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. In other words, one God. One God. Faith in one God. Not faith in the leader. Faith in one God. Not faith in the governing authorities. One God. One God, that's where we put our faith, okay? And so then he goes on to say this. He says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Okay, if it's not Jesus, decide who you're going to serve. Decide. He's pushing them to a decision point. You can serve these idols if you want, or you can serve the one God. But you have to decide. When we go to camp, we're going to decide. We're, go we're going there so that we can make a decision. And so he goes on and he says, Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? In other words, are you going to bend a culture? Or are you going to worship idols? Okay. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And this is where it starts. When you take the prophetic stand that as for you and your house, your family, we will serve the Lord. Whether you are a father, a mother, a grandparent, or a son or a daughter, when you take that position that no matter how I feel, I will serve the Lord. No matter how much pressure comes from my peers. No matter how much pressure comes from my culture. No matter how much pressure comes from TikTok. No matter how much pressure comes from the circumstances of this life. I choose to serve the one God and not the God of culture or the God of idols. 
Now, there's a lot of idols that we're worshiping today. We think, oh, no, well, I'm not a pagan. I don't worship idols. Oh, yes, we do. And a lot of Christians do. And we fall in and out. We kind of, we drift away from the one God. And then we begin to serve the idol of self, where self becomes the center. Or the, the idol of convenience. Oh, we'll, we'll do the Lord's work when it's convenient, when it never is convenient. Okay? Or the idol of fear. The idol of culture, the idol of pleasure, the idol of ease. Some of us, we won't do stuff because it ruins our rhythm. We wanted to relax. And that becomes, relaxing becomes the idol. The idol of entitlement, the idols of feelings. Where feelings are the most important thing. It's what we make our decisions based on is how we feel about something. We don't really care how you feel. God doesn't care how you feel. He knows what's best. Well, he cares. But that shouldn't change what you're going to do. Feelings are meant to alert you that something's not right or something's very right. But they're never the directive. Feelings are not the directive. The voice of the Holy Spirit is the director. He, he goes past the feelings to the wisdom and connects you to the wisdom. So we have a lot of idols. The idols of sexuality without boundaries. And we serve those. Political idols. Political figures that we worship. Patriotism. Sometimes, nothing wrong with patriotism. There's nothing wrong with pleasure or ease. There's nothing wrong with fear. There's nothing wrong with convenience. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Until they out, step outside of the bounds of what God wants for us. Because he knows what's best. But sometimes in our patriotism or in our race, they can become an idol. It needs to be important, but it's not Lord. You see what I'm saying? Stuff. The stuff. God having another toy can become an idol. Some of us have the idol of neglect. We reserve the right to neglect our family and do whatever we want. And we forget that we're still parents and we're still married. And we go out and we, ex we experience all of our leisure by neglecting our families. I know this is kind of hard, but even consumerism can be an idol. Now, these things in their proper place are good and they're important. So don't get me wrong. Even uh, sexual freedom is important. But within the context of what Scripture says. shouldn't be all uptight about sex. Should, you should, if, if you're a young person, that's an exciting thing to look forward to when you're married. Because it's going to pull your marriage together. It's going to knit your souls together and unify you as one. It's a powerful, powerful thing. But taken outside of that can be very harmful. And so, we have to decide who we're going to serve. The gods of culture? The gods of our friends? 
gods of other religions. We get to choose, but just choose. And guess what? When the storms of life come, you'll stand. I'd like you to just kind of sit with this thought for a moment. I know it's a little bit sobering. And it can be kind of heavy because I didn't do too much comic relief today. Uh, But you know what? Sometimes we just need to sit in something heavy for a while. Because we got to come to a decision point. Like Joshua brought the people of Israel to. Where he said, choose this day. This is the day. This is the day you're going to choose. You can serve. You can serve anybody you want. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And let me just declare this. As for me and this church, we're going to serve the Lord. So you just got to know that. And we welcome everybody that doesn't. We want them to come. And if it takes five years before they hear something that convicts their heart, great. But they're welcome. Everybody's welcome here. That doesn't mean that everything that everybody does is the plan of God or the orchestration of God or the intent of God or even has the approval of God. But they do. They, as a human being, have the approval of God. He loves them. He thinks the world of them. And when their eyes open up to see that, hmm, They're going to come into a relationship like no other relationship. It's going to be so awesome. Some of you are here today, you're a skeptic of the church or you're skeptic of religion or Jesus. I just want you to know that it's not an accident that you're here today. If you're watching online right now, it's not an accident that you're watching this. Somebody probably gave this to you because you really needed to hear it. They, they directed you to this place because you needed to hear it. We all need to hear this. I need to hear this. I need to hear those words. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. I'm not serving anger anymore. I'm not serving fear anymore. I'm not serving hate anymore. I'm not serving unforgiveness anymore. I'm not going to serve retribution, revenge of any kind anymore. It's not how I roll. That's not how I'm going to do life. I'm going to serve the Lord. Would you close your eyes, please, and just look within, all around this room right now. I just believe that people are making declarations such as that. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to serve my body. I'm not going to serve my business. I'm going to serve the Lord. All around this, this room. Some of us have been serving some vows that we've made. Some idols that we've made. Because we got hurt by somebody. And so we made a vow to never forgive or to never remarry or to never trust 
a man or trust a woman. We've made vows. It's time to surrender that idol. It's time to break it in half. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May you lead your house well. May you son or daughter well. May you aunt and uncle well. May you grandma and grandpa well. May you friend well. May you do it by following him. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen.